Well, I wonder if you would uh, turn it in your Bibles to the book of Second Chronicles. Okay, Second Chronicles chapter 12. And uh, if you would like to use a pew Bible, there should be one right close by. You just reach out in front of you somewhere in the back of the pew in front of you and turn to page 367 in the pew Bible and you'll find our passage there, Second Chronicles chapter 12. And uh, the title of my message is A 2020 Vision for your life. Now this is a little bit of a double entendre you may detect. Of course it is hard to believe it's the first Sunday of the year 2020. Well wow this is forget 1984 this is 2020 and here we are it's really really something that here we are in a new year let alone uh, the year 2020 and uh, I sort of want to capitalize on that this morning the start of a new year for many uh, beckons us to to sort of take stock of our lives and to look at where it is we've been going and where we want to go particularly this morning where does where does God want me to go what's what's his desire for me in this uh, this new year so on one hand we've got this new year 2020 hard to believe we're here but this is the first Sunday of course on the other hand I have in mind uh, the the idea of if we were to put a slash between the 20 and the 20 we might be thinking about 2020 vision in terms of eyesight and if you are blessed with uh, 2020 vision then uh, well many of us here this morning hate you frankly um, because uh, since uh, about 1985 I have required uh, corrective lenses if you're looking at me this morning, wondering where are they, they are pasted to my eyeballs. Uh, I wear contact lenses. I see a bunch of like, that's what happened. We thought maybe you got better. No, they told me when I got glasses that your, your vision may get better. It didn't. It got worse, steadily worse throughout my life. Uh, so much so that without any kind of corrective lens, I can see basically nothing. In fact, last night I had no lenses on whatsoever. My wife was five feet away from me and I was staring at her. And she was, I think, staring back at me. And I said... I can't tell what your expression is on your face. And then she laughed. I'm like, you're smiling, right? Because I can hear that. And uh, why, you know, the family knows when we're at the water park, don't walk away from dad because dad won't be able to find you. And I dare not try to hold hands with anybody unless I have this kind of certainty that it's my wife uh, because the vision is that poor. So some of you feel, you, you know the pain, you know the, the nuisance really of having to wear glasses and then as we think about that we're mindful of how blessed we are that we have corrective lenses. But if you have 20-20 vision you, you can see pretty good. Uh, maybe as you age you may need glasses to read the label on the soup can or whatever if anybody actually needs that kind of assistance. But uh, the reality is, is if you have 20-20 vision you can do life. You've got you can see from 20 feet away what a normal person is able to see from 20 feet away, 20, 20. Okay, if you've got 20, 40 vision, that means that you can see at 20 feet what a normal person can see at 40 feet. Okay, so that's, so if you've got 20, 20 vision, you didn't know that, did you? If you've got 20, 20 vision, you can see. Many of you can see just fine, thank you very much, but none of us can see spiritually very well without the corrective lenses of God's Word. We are saddled with this problem as people that while we may or may not be able to see well physically, there ain't anybody who can see well spiritually without God's help. Our vision, because of the fall, because of sin, our, our vision is blurred so that we, we don't see very well. Lots of people think they see just fine, thank you very much. I don't need spiritual glasses. 
But as we open up the Word of God, we discover that, in fact, we, we do need that. And I think that one of the many ways that our passage today serves us so wonderfully and so importantly is that it helps us to see. It helps us to see, in particular, God's vision for our life and what it is that He wants for you and for me. When we think about our vision for our life, we're thinking about that that mental picture of the, the preferred future, the preferable better tomorrow, that place that God wants to take us, where He wants us to be. This is a passage that I think helps us to see something of that. And it's the story of a man who actually didn't see very well spiritually. He had times that he saw okay, but there was other times he, he, well, the reality is he had trouble keeping his focus on God and he had trouble setting his heart to seek God. His name was Rehoboam. Rehoboam. Say Rehoboam. There we go. That's who he is. He was the son of Solomon. He was the grandson of David. He was king over Judah. And if you know Rehoboam's story, you know that the beginning of his reign as king did not go very well. In very short order, because of his own foolishness, the kingdom was divided. It was split in two. And he reigned over Judah while Israel separated. And it was a whole mess. And uh, there's all kinds of avenues that we could go down with that. But the bottom line is, is that it didn't start very well. Well, after this, this disappointing, abysmal start to his rule, he started to see a little clearer than he had been. And he actually got things back on track for a while. And the Lord was gracious to him and favorable. And things went well. But then, but then, well, let's look and see what happened. Second Chronicles 12, and we'll see that his vision gets a little blurry again. Look what happens. When the rule of Rehoboam was established and he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. Now, just to pause here for a minute, isn't that the way it often goes? Right When things are going well, when things are peaceful, when things are successful, sometimes people, even church-going, beautiful, nice people like ourselves, sometimes when things are going good, we start to sort of coast and start to drift and maybe become unfaithful, maybe even disobedient. Well, things were going well for Rehoboam, and he kind of, well, he's, the Bible says he abandoned the law of the Lord. He quit listening to God's Word. And all Israel with him. As the leader goes, so goes the people. Notice verse 2. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam. Now remember, so he's been king for five years. It started off with a disaster. I mean, if you take over and the company splits in two, that that you're not doing very good. Okay? If you start as a pastor of a church and the church just divides, that, that, that's not a great start. If you, if you come home and the family scatters, you've got a problem. Okay? Well, five years in, the kingdom's already split. Now look what happens. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, Shishak, say Shishak. Isn't that fun? Like, it's like shish kebab, but different. You can't eat them. Shishak. King of Egypt came up against Jerusalem with, notice, 1,200 chariots. So it was like, like, like ancient tanks. Okay, just imagine. You hear that squeaking sound? What is that? It's tanks coming. 1,200 of them. Should we be worried? Yes. And 60,000 horsemen. 
Okay? They're not out for a little Sunday gallop. They're coming with blades sharpened. And notice what it says. And the people were without number who came with him from Egypt. How many were there? I don't know! Too many to count! The counters were running for their lives. Notice there was Libyans, the Sukkim, and, and, and Ethiopians, sorry, are all coming with the Egyptians. Verse 4. And he took the fortified cities, that's Shishak, he took the fortified cities of Judah, sorry, so the fortified cities are supposed to be the strongholds, right? They're the, it's all good as long as they don't take the fortified cities. cities. Well, they took them. And then it says, and he came as far as Jerusalem. Why is that a problem? Because it's the capital. If Jerusalem falls, it's game over. Well, notice what happens. Verse 5, then Shemaiah, the prophet, came to Rehoboam and to the princes of Judah, who had gathered at Jerusalem because of Shishak, and said to them, thus says the Lord, you abandoned me, so I have abandoned you to the hand of Shishak. Then the princes of Israel and the king, notice, humbled themselves and said, the Lord is righteous. You see what's happening here? So the preacher comes along and tells the king and all of his, his, uh, his officials, here's what's happening. Here's a divine interpretation, explanation of why it is you're all getting whooped right now. You have abandoned God. You walked away from him. So God has treated you in like manner as you've treated him. He's abandoned you. What's happening here? Shishak has no idea. He's just he's just kicking rear ends and taking names. Like he is just he's taken over doing what kings did. But but God says, here's the reality. Here's what's happening. This is all about me. It's an important little principle to keep in mind in, in your life. Everything is always about God. Okay? We may not see that, we may frequently forget that, but that's why you all come to church so we can all remember together. It's actually all about him. And notice their response. Now, their response could have been a whole lot of things. Other places in the Bible, we'd see them take the prophet and bind him in prison and tell him to be quiet. Or we'd see him kill the prophet, maybe. Or, say, or other people come in and say, no, 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 don't listen to him. He, he doesn't get enough sleep at night. The reality is, everything will be just fine. Sometimes that happens. We, we see that in Scripture. Sometimes it happens in our lives, right? Uh, there's, we're in a crisis, and somebody has a word for us from Scripture, and we're tempted to say, ah, don't bring that to me. Don't bring me your Bible just tell me I'm a good person and I'm okay well sometimes there's hard truth to be told isn't there and Shemaiah came with difficult news this is all about you and God and God ain't happy and notice what they did they didn't chase him away they didn't say let's find another prophet let's, they didn't say let's do paper rock scissors to see who's got the right interpretation no no notice they humbled themselves and they said what did they say the Lord is righteous. In other words, the, the Lord is doing us no wrong here. He's right. We have abandoned the Lord. God is true in His assessment of us. This is amazing. Notice what happens, verse 7. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah saying, there, that ought to teach you. Is that what it says? Oh, well, that's not what it says. That's, that's, I, my, I should get my contacts in here. No, it says, They have humbled themselves. I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. 
and my wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. This is really good news. God's going to deal graciously with his people. Do they deserve a second chance? No, no. We don't even deserve a first chance. God is so gracious to them. He's so gracious to us. Verse 8, Nevertheless, they shall be servants to him, that's to Shishak, that they may know my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries. You know what this means? It's like, in other, way, in other words, he's like, he's like, for a season, they're going to be subject to this Shishak guy because I want them to learn. This is divine discipline so that they can learn what it's like to live life apart from me if you choose to abandon me. I'll be gracious to you, but I want you to be able to tell the difference between, between following me and following your flesh. I want you to see there's a vast, glorious, wonderful difference. So for a season of time, it's going to be hard. But there's a lesson in it. There's a curriculum in it to help us to see the beauty and the goodness of God. So while things are hard, they're going to be saying to one another, isn't it so much better to follow the Lord? So that's what's going to happen. Now notice verse 9. So Shishak, I just love his name, king of Egypt came up against Jerusalem. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. So he took away all kinds of stuff. Notice he took away everything, right? So, so the gold, the jewels, the PlayStation 4, everything is gone. Cleaned it out. And then it says, he took away the shields of gold that Solomon had made. Bet you they were worth something. And King Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard who kept the door of the king's house. It's kind of humiliating, isn't it? I mean, bronze ain't nothing, but it ain't gold. Verse 11, And as often as the, king went in, as the king went into the house of the Lord, the guard came and carried them and brought them back to the guardroom. Verse 12, And when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him, so as to not make a complete destruction. Moreover, conditions were good in Judah. See the, the kindness of God. The grace of God. Even though things were bad, things were, things were okay. Verse 13, So King Rehoboam grew strong in Jerusalem and reigned. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign. I'm 41. Not that that really matters, but I just think to myself, <laughs> wow, he's the same age as me. I wonder if he was balding on top like I was, like I am. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem. What kind of vision would I want to have for my life if I knew I got 17 more years? It's not much. He didn't know he had 17 more years, but he did. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem. The city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. So it's a special city. Now notice, this is interesting. We'll come back to this in a second. His mother's name was Nama the Ammonite. And he, talking about our, our friend here, the king, Rehoboam, and he did evil, for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. Imagine getting to the end of your life, Instead of people getting up and say all the nice, wonderful things about you, make you sound like you were the greatest person since Mother Teresa when you die, because that's what people do, right? We, we don't get up, and, and rightly so. I'm not being critical of that. But imagine if somebody stood up at your funeral 
and said, here is an honest, truthful summary of their life. She did evil. He did evil. Because he did not set her heart, his heart, to seek the Lord. They did not determine in their heart to seek after God. I don't care what accomplishments you have in life, what you leave behind to your family, even what you might donate to the church, I don't care. You do not want to get to the end and have it said, truthfully, he did not determine in his heart to seek the Lord. Well, that is lenses for our eyes. It's a challenge. I believe that this passage is a challenge for God's people to do what Rehoboam failed to do. Just a second. I'm sorry. Just a second. Can you just check on uh, some of you just left? Did you make sure that everything is okay? Sorry. George just had to leave there for something. I just want to make sure he's okay. This text, I believe, is a challenge for God's people to look at Rehoboam's example and say, hey, he had good days, didn't he? He had some good days. He had some bad days. And when you pull it all together, the bottom line is, is that he had a major, major flaw in his life. He did all kinds of evil in his life because he failed to do something. He failed to set his heart to seek the Lord. And my call to you on the authority of God's word is to determine today in your heart to seek the Lord, to determine it, to decide it, to, to commit to it, to seek the Lord. This is the call of the passage. And this is, loved ones, this is God's vision for your life. If you were to ask God, what's, what's, your, what's your desire? What's your vision for my life? What, where, where do you want me to go? What, what do you see when you look into my future? What is it you want to see in me? What God wants to see is He wants to see you, His children, His people, determining in their hearts to seek after Him. Rehoboam had flashes of this. He had moments of this. And he, he tasted and saw something of the goodness and of the grace of God. But at the end of the day, the grand summary of his life is that he did not commit himself to the Lord. He was sort of in and out. He had fits and starts. He was sometimes sort of for the Lord. It seems that when things got good, he just got lazy and disobedient. Rehoboam had moments when he sought the Lord, but overall his major shortcoming was that he didn't commit himself to seeking him. Now what do we mean by seeking uh, the Lord? Well, to, to seek the Lord is a combination of desiring him and also doing what pleases him. So there's, there's a desire that I have in my life where I want to know what God wants. I want to be near for him, for, to him. I've got a passion for him. And coupled with that is not only a desire for him and a passion for him, but also followed up in my life is obedience to him. I want to know what it is that God wants, and then I want to walk in it. I want to do it. That's what it is to seek the Lord. So just to be clear, because sometimes we'll say, we'll say seek the Lord, and I think, I think there's sometimes confusion, because you hear that and you think like seek, like hide and seek. There's someone I can't find, and the game is you go find them, and ah, oh, I found you, there it is. That's the way lots of people see the Christian life. I found Jesus, so that's all there is to it. I'll just carry on back to my regularly scheduled life, and then I'll see Him in heaven. That's not the Christian life. 
It's not lost and found kind of seek. It's the kind of seeking like the Canadian junior hockey team is going to do today after a gold medal. They're going for a gold today. They know where the medal is. Okay, It's on the little table outside the arena there and it's going to come in and be handed out. What they're going to do is they're going to go after it and lay hold of it. That's the idea of, of seeking the Lord. It's going after Him. It's desiring to know what He wants. What do you want, Lord? That's seeking the Lord. Lord, what do you desire? What delights you? What pleases you? And then walking in that. That's what we mean by seeking the Lord. I might liken it to, uh, to you know, when you, you first, for those of you who are married, when you, you first fell in love and you, you desire, you remember that you desired to know everything about that person and what they, what they liked. And so, you know, I mean, I learned she doesn't like relish at all, not even on a hot dog. She loves hot dogs, but not relish. Don't ever put relish on there. I made that mistake one time after we'd been married for a little while, I put some relish on there and I brought it to her and she looked at me. She's like, what's this? It's a hot dog. Here, I got it for you. No, no, what's this? You don't like relish? No, I don't like relish. That's a huge F fail. Back to school, young man. No, what, what I, want, I want to know what, she, what does she like? What does she desire? And then, and then what? Don't put relish on her hot dog. Why? Because she doesn't like that. In my heart's desire, listen, my heart's desire in my marriage, and in your marriage, isn't it? Is to maximize your joy in the joy of the other person. That's what it is in our relationship with God. We want to please Him. We want to, we want to honor Him in part because as we honor Him, as we please Him, that increases our joy. And we, we delight when He is delighted. And when he's, he's delighted, when we are delighting ourselves in Him. And we're delighting ourselves in Him when we are seeking to know His will and to walk in it. You see the, drast, the, the drastic difference between seeking and seeking? If you have found Jesus, you have found treasure. Great, all-surpassing treasure. So treasure Him. Delight in Him. Seek Him. Determine in your heart today to seek the Lord. The problem, as you may know, is that many people don't seek the Lord. They don't draw near to Him. They don't pursue Him. They they, they maybe at times do that, but on the whole, they, they haven't committed themselves to seeking the Lord. Rehoboam, that was him. Verse 14 again, it says that he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. If, it's, if I'm going to seek him, it's something I must determine to do. It's important to know to do it. It's vital to do it. Now, some of you this morning are new to the faith. And can I just say that we, we just delight in you. We, we love new believers. Because, well, it's just a joy at seeing God at work in your life. And some of you are brand new to the faith. And maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Like this might honestly actually be the first time you've ever heard somebody talking about seeking the Lord and, and wrestling through what that means and what that might look like. So for some of you this morning, you know, this is, this is new to you. You're just learning this. But for many of you, what I'm saying this morning is not new. You've heard this message many times in different ways from different people, but you've heard this message many times. And you know that God calls you to love Him and to live for Him and to put Him first in your life and to align your will with His will. But there's been something missing. And that something missing is perhaps that you just haven't 
done it. Haven't committed yourself to it. Perhaps like Rehoboam, you've had seasons when you've sought the Lord. And those were sweet seasons. But you're not in that season now. Or maybe like Rehoboam, you know something of the goodness of God, but you've drifted from Him and from His goodness. Or perhaps like Rehoboam, you've tasted the joy of God's love, but you're coasting and you're in that pattern of in and out and sometimes sort of, which this passage exposes. If you're there, you can relate to that. Then can I just end it, just outline for you three things that I think are important for you to consider? First of all, you are responsible before God for what you do. You are responsible before God for what you do. We see that clearly in this passage, don't we? We see here God calling out His people, and they are responsible for their actions. And wonderfully, they they take responsibility for their actions. But it's also interesting. Remember I said something about his mother? It says, be careful what you say about people's mothers. But look at what it says in verse 13. The end of verse 13, see that sentence there? It says, his, mother's, his is Rehoboam. So Rehoboam's mother's name was Nama the Ammonite. It's such a funny thing. It's there. And he's just like, why is that? Like, there's a part, is it okay to say, like, who cares? <laughs> like, who cares who his mother was? I think actually there's a reason it's there because it, the same thing happens when Rehoboam's mother is discussed in 1 Kings. Same thing happens. You have the naming of his mother, Nama the Ammonite, and then the next sentence, the next phrase is, and he, Rehoboam, and he did evil, for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. Many students of the Bible would suggest, and I would concur, that the implication here is that his mother was a negative influence on his spiritual walk. His mother was an Ammonite. She was a pagan woman. She didn't know and love God the way that, well, the people of Judah were to know and to love God. And it seems that she had a negative influence on his life, bringing their idolatrous uh, beliefs. But notice in the text, there's no blame shifting here, is there? Like, do you notice in the prayer? It's not, you know, like, you know, like the prophet Shemaiah, he didn't come into the king's courts and say, You've abandoned God, so God's abandoned you. Like we, but we didn't read the king say, but hang on, Shemaiah, it's my mother, man. It's, if, you, if you had my upbringing, I mean, you, you were brought up to know the law and everything, but if you grew up in my household, well, you would know. You'd know what it's like. I mean, God would cut me a little slack, wouldn't He? He doesn't do that, does He? In some ways, like, Rehoboam is such a complicated character, is He? Because if you read the Bible, you're like, should I be like Him or should I not be like Him? Should I be like Him or should I not be like Him? Listen, forget, forget Rehoboam. Listen to what God is showing you. That there's, in Rehoboam, he shows you a positive example in, in some ways and a negative example in, in others. Here's a positive one. That he understood that he was responsible for, before God. Sometimes when we're called out for things in our life, we have a, a hard time accepting it. Maybe you grew up in a difficult home setting. Maybe you had a challenging upbringing. Maybe you have a difficult home life now. Maybe you have physical emotional, mental issues that you are dealing with that are real factors in your life. I, I don't diminish that. I don't overlook that. But it doesn't change the fact that I am responsible before God for what I do or for what I don't do. How many times do we excuse ourselves for our sin and for our folly, for our lack of self-control, for our unloving, unfaithful attitude and behaviors, saying, well, it's just that... Now, as soon as you start saying it's just that, just stop right there. Because it's you 
maybe trying to avoid responsibility. I am responsible before God for what I do. I'm responsible. Second thing, what I do, what you do, has an impact upon other people. What you do, or don't do, has an impact upon other people. Do you notice that in verse 1? It says, When the rule of Rehoboam was established and he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. If you are in an in-again, out-again walk with God, sometimes sort of, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, pattern of not changing in your life, you are deceiving yourself if you think only you is getting hurt. Because the other people are on the receiving end of the attitudes that God wants to change in you. Other people are impacted and affected in ways that sometimes we don't even see or, or even realize. Think of a friend of mine whose introduction to pornography came because he found some of his father's private stock. The reality is, is that these things all trace back to the core issue this morning about determining in my heart to seek the Lord. What I do has an impact upon others. Number three, here's the good news. Where there's real repentance, there's amazing grace. If I can agree with the Lord that what I, I am responsible for what I do, and I also acknowledge that I'm not only hurting me, I can be hurting the people around me. And I can humble myself before God and acknowledge, Lord, it's true. It's true what you're saying about me. And I can repent of that, confessing the sin that it is. When I come to that place, just like we saw in our text today, of, of humbling ourselves, making ourselves low before the Lord, where there's real repentance, there's, there's amazing grace. I love that favorite hymn, right, by Newton. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now there is a man who acknowledges that I'm responsible for what I do. And there's no blame shifting there. And, and, and the reality that I, I'm a wretch, it's, a, it's, an awesome, uh, it's an awesome expression of sorrow for sin as much as, as a marveling, as an amazement at God's grace. I love the example of David in Psalm 32.5. Here's David. He, he sort of lived, he had, he had sinned and then he tried to ignore it and hide it and pretend it didn't happen for a year. And after a year's time, he, he repented, he confessed, he was confronted about his sin. And, and here's what he said about this, Psalm 32, verse 5. He says in his prayer to God, he said, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Oh, let that the ring in your ears, loved ones. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Listen to what God says in 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven and will forgive their sin. Or how about John? If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to what? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This passage reminds us of the heart of God to redeem, 
to forgive, his inclination to rescue those who are in ruin. So this morning, as you think about this, the, the problem is that many people don't seek the Lord. If, that, if you realize that this morning, if you're like, you know what, I, I mean, I've sought the Lord at times, I've sought the Lord in stretches, but this morning I'm, I'm realizing, I'm seeing that I've, I've not committed myself to, to following the Lord, to pursuing after Him in my life. Understand that, first of all, you are responsible for what you do or don't do. What you do doesn't only hurt you, it hurts others around you. But wonderfully, where there's real repentance... There's amazing grace, real repentance. I'm not blaming my upbringing. I'm not blaming all the external factors around me. I'm not making excuses. I'm not sorry that I got caught. I'm not sorry for how this makes me look. I'm not sorry that you don't like it, Pastor. I'm not sorry for how it makes you feel. I am sorry because I've sinned against God. Where there's real repentance, there's amazing grace. That brings us back to the call that we began with, that we began our, our sermon with today, the message. The call in your life is, is to determine in your heart to seek the Lord. And so this morning, if you're realizing this is something you need to do, then, then you begin by acknowledging it. Lord, I'm responsible. And people, including me, have got hurt. But I see that there's grace. There's grace in Jesus who died to pay for my sin so that my sins can be forgiven. And now with the barrier out of the way, I'm free to pursue you, God, and live my life for you. This is what God wants for you. This is his heart for you. This is his design for you. This is his vision for you in 2020 that you and I would be a family of believers who are seeking him and going after him. So my question for you today is, will you do that? Will you determine in your heart today to seek the Lord? It's a pivotal issue that starts in your heart. It's the orientation of your heart to putting the Lord first. I, I determine today that I'm going to take my orders from Him, that I'm going to set my affections on Him, that I'm going to seek to find my joy in Him, that I am going to love Him. So help me, God, I'm going to love Him in my inner being, with my whole person, with my resources, with all that I am and all that I have, to determine to seek Him. Will you do that? Will you seek the Lord in the key areas of your life? Here's where I want to come out of the abstract into the real specific. Think about the key areas of your life. What are some of those key areas? Well, perhaps in your family. You seek the Lord in your marriage. What, what does God want for me as a husband, as a wife? What is His vision for my home as a father, as a mother? You say, well, where do you find that? You find that in Scripture. You go, you go seeking it. Lord, show me that. Maybe this year you'd say, I want to seek the Lord for, for His design for me in my home as a parent, as a, as a spouse. What, what's his, his, uh, will you seek the Lord in, in the area of your relationships, maybe with the neighbors around you or your coworkers? What is God's uh, desire? What is his, his marching orders for me in my relationships in my life? What about my ministry? Why is it I do what I do? What does God want for me in these areas? Or how about my finances? Think about your finances. What is God's designs? What is his plans? What's his will for you and your money? Well, you say, well, Ross, how am I going to find that out? You find it out from Scripture. You need to determine, I've got, I got to seek God's Word and find out from Him what He wants in these different areas of my life. Wonderfully, God speaks to these issues. But it starts with the determination of my heart that, Lord, I want to know because I want to go Your way. What do You say about these things? What do You want from me? What do You command? How do You want me to handle this? How do You want me to respond to this? Lord, I'm putting You first. 
I love Deuteronomy 5.29. It says, God says of his people, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. When I read that verse, I think, I want it to go well. I want, I want it to go well. My marriage, my parenting, my pastoring, my neighboring, my moneying, if that's even a word. I want it to go well. I don't mean smoothly without problems, because God don't, don't do smoothly. But I mean I want it to go well, so it's pleasing to Him. Well, it's going to require me to seek Him. And I think one practical step that you can take is to determine in 2020 that you are, so help me God, going to regularly be in His Word. And if you're going to do that, you need a, you need a plan, you need a place, and you need somebody praying. So you find yourself a plan. What, what am I going to read? Don't spend the precious minutes you have before you have to get to work in the morning or the precious moments you have carved out in your day to be with God's Word thinking about what you're going to read. Have a plan. Have a place. Where are you going to do this? For some of you, it's on the train, up in the quiet level in the train. There's some serious worship goes on along that lakeshore line. I know that for sure. For some of you, it's, it's maybe a, a, a little quiet spot in your home, or maybe it's got to be out of your home. I know some people will spend time with the Lord in their car. Maybe get to work a little bit early and, and sit in their car. Don't pollute and sit there running, okay? But just find somewhere where you can just be alone with the Lord. Have a plan, have a place, and have somebody praying. I say this because it just seems to me that when believers determine to step forward in faith and obedience to the Lord, there's almost ever and always complications, problems, interruptions. So ask somebody, will you pray for me? I'm making a determination today that I'm going to seek the Lord by getting into His Word so I can learn about what He wants in my life. Will you pray for me that God would speak to me and encourage me in that? And there, are, there is a faith. If you would delight in doing that for somebody, just put your hand up in the room in praying for somebody. See, look around you. There's a whole bunch of people, mostly at the front here. This is more spiritual people, I think. Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. Will you seek the Lord in the key areas of your life? Will you seek the Lord in the power that He supplies? Wonderfully, God does not leave us to our own strength to do what He calls us to do. He gives us help. He gives us His Word. He gives us His Spirit. He gives us the encouragement of the saints. He gives us His promise to be working in us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. I've got on my wall a leather scroll graciously prepared for me by Dan Soucier on the wall in my, my office in my basement. And uh, it's Philippians 2 and 13. It's one of my favorite verses. I've got a few different favorite verses in case you track with me, but this is one of my favorite verses. It says, for it is God, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God who works in you. The call to seek the Lord comes with the promise of God to work in you. God works in me. Both to will, that's my big problem, to will, to want what God wants. And to work, that's my big problem. To do it. See, they're both big problems. If you only got one problem, you're way ahead of me. To want to do it, and then to do it. 
I'm not on my own. It's God who works in me. Now, I've been reading this book, and it tells me that God is a pretty powerful God. In fact, He spoke the universe into existence. He's got a resume. So when I read that God works in me both to will and to work for His good pleasure, I'm reminded I'm not on my own here. And I don't need to feel despairing or defeated by my own weakness. Loved one, do not think or act as though you are helpless in this life as a follower of Jesus. You've got the blood of Jesus washing away your sin. So you're not ever condemned before God. Isn't that awesome? You're forgiven fully and forever. You've got new birth. God's given you a new heart. He took that old heart that didn't love Him and gave you a new heart, a new desire for Him. You're born again. You've got the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. In you. Not around you, not showing up on weekends. In you. God Himself, you've got promises to bank on, to hold on, to help you, to strengthen you, to, that God will keep you. You've got the Word of God. God, when you're reading your Bibles this year, it's God speaking to you. You've got the church around you to pray for you, to set examples for you. What am I saying? You're not helpless. So don't listen to the devil and the flesh and the world that tells you you are. Will you seek the Lord in the power that He supplies? Finally, will you seek the Lord in the hope of His grace? That He is gracious to the humble. That He loves you. And this is a can't-lose proposal. You committing to seeking the Lord in your life. Now here's how I want to conclude the service today. I want to do something a little different. Okay, It's a new year, a new different if that's even a phrase. I want to close in prayer, but I want us to sing a song that is a prayer. Okay, now some of you don't like singing, just don't roll your eyes at me, okay? A song that's a prayer, it's a prayer of commitment. The call of this passage is to set your heart to seek the Lord. God's vision for your 2020, this, for your life in this year, is that you would seek Him. Let this be our vision, to seek Him, to pursue after Him. And this song is really a prayer of commitment that, Lord, today I'm, I am setting my heart on You. I am committing myself to seeking You, to pursuing after You. And so the prayer is, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. If You consecrate something, it's set apart unto God. And so I, I want my life to be set apart unto You. And as we sing this song, I just encourage you to sing it as a prayer this morning to God. Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Do you have that on, the, on the, the screen there for us? Let's sing this together as a 